the amazing thing that Christians know that Hollywood also knows, and we're in agreement with this, is that what we watch, what makes us laugh, what interests us, changes our hearts. Hello and welcome to Candid, where we never settle for less than the truth. I'm your host, Jonathan Youssef. Each week, we'll tackle tough issues, answer your hard questions, and take a candid look at the Christian faith. My guest today is Dr. Albert Moeller. He is the president of Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, one of the largest seminaries in the world. He hosts two programs, The Briefing, a daily analysis of news and events from a Christian worldview, and Thinking in Public, a series of conversations with the day's leading thinkers. He's author of several books, including We Cannot Be Silent, Speaking Truth to a Culture Redefining Sex, Marriage, and the Very Meaning of Right and Wrong. He's married to Mary, father to Katie and Christopher, and grandfather to Benjamin and Henry. He is a great family friend. Uh, If you don't know Dr. Moeller, his biography has 12 paragraphs in it, Uh, so that can speak to his accomplishments. Dr. Moeller, thank you so much for coming on our Candid program. Oh, Jonathan, it's great to be with you. Thank you. I know you have a lot uh, going on, so we wanted to have this conversation with you about media news and entertainment and our consumption of it. And I wanted to start by giving you some statistics that I'm sure you're already aware of. There are 169 million Netflix users. There are 28 million Hulu users. 74% of Americans have subscription to on-demand services. Disney Plus had 28.6 million subscribers in just the first three months of its launching. And so as we kind of start this conversation, I want to ask you, yeah. you know, how should we as believers decide what to consume, what to watch, and how to watch? Yeah, well, Jonathan, a couple of interesting questions there. I think there's also another question, which is how much to watch, uh, which is uh, one that we often don't think about. You know, Christians understand that no aspect of the culture and no technology is value neutral. Everything comes with moral meaning and a theological understructure. And so when we're thinking about entertainment, the reality is that the amazing thing that Christians know that Hollywood also knows, and we're in agreement with this, is that what we watch, what makes us laugh, what interests us, changes our hearts. Hollywood's counting on that. And uh, those who are major figures in the entertainment industry and amongst the cultural creatives they have not only a show they want us to watch, they have a point they want to to, to drive into our hearts and minds. And, of course, it's a battle for eyeballs. Uh, you mentioned the, the competition between these different platforms. And then, you know, we're, we're in an age of so many media alternatives and opportunities that uh, we're, we are almost uh, drowning in options. I mentioned the, the how much because... I think if you were to take a snapshot of Americans in the 21st century and compare it with any other period of human history or any other period of Christian history, the amount of time we actually spend being entertained is just massive. Now, this is a part of what uh, historians would talk about, the rise of, uh, of leisure uh, as a major component of modern life. So, And leisure is basically time where we decide what we're going to do. So leisure is not just laying around, you know, it, it, but leisure is historically defined as doing time when we do what we want to do, because that's when we find out what it is we want to do. It's not work. It's not preparing food. 
that is of necessity. And, and the interesting thing is that throughout most of human history, most of Christian history, the necessities of life have taken up most of the time of life. And, and that was certainly also true when the family was more central, when families had more children, and uh, when family responsibilities framed so much of the time. But now, in an age in which so many people are single for so long and childless for so long, and uh, where we, we work differently, and uh, so we have a lot of time for leisure. So even before you get to television and Hollywood entertainment, the reality is we already have a lot of time on our hands that Christians of previous generations didn't have. Hmm. And it tells us something about ourselves that we're filling so much of it with entertainment. We love to be entertained. You know, Neil Postman back in the 1980s wrote one of the most prophetic books of the time, Amusing Ourselves to Death. And that was just when there were three television networks and maybe early cable. Uh, and already, he said, you know, America is, has become a less serious nation. He wasn't a Christian. But he said America has become a less serious nation, less able to deal with big questions of life, uh, simply because we want to be entertained all the time. And that was that was so long ago that uh, no one would have known that anyone but a bird could tweet, and uh, no one would have thought of Netflix or anything else. So the bottom line is that Christians have to understand that we are actually making spiritual decisions when we make decisions concerning our leisure time and when we make decisions concerning what we let in our eyes and our ears, which means letting into our hearts. So coming out of that, I, you know, we as Christians want to be able to relate to our neighbor. Um, right. <laughs> it's tricky because the question already has an inbuilt problem in it, which is uh, we know our neighbor is consuming a tremendous amount of entertainment and media. So is the solution that we do the same? You know, that takes me back to when I was a teenager, and that's the typical kind of youth group question, you know, how worldly must you be in order to bear witness to the world, you know, and uh, the logic of that, I can tell by the way you're responding to it, you, 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 we've all heard this many times before. And, uh, you know, the reality is that I don't know a single Christian who is in danger of not knowing enough about the world to relate to it. I don't think that's the danger at all. That's a hypothetical that actually doesn't, uh, doesn't much compute. Now, it is interesting that when Christians make that argument, they sometimes say, look, uh, here is a show that's a fascination, and uh, it gives us a cultural touch point. So I'll, I'll give you one example, uh, Game of Thrones, and uh, I have not watched it. I, w I do not want to watch it, partly because one of the major themes of it is orchestrated sexual assault on women. And furthermore, as a Christian theologian, I have the books, which is a, a different way of engaging than, the, by the way, than uh, cinema or sure. television. But uh, I would see the books as actually an intentional alternative to J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings trilogy. And so it's, a, it's, a, it's an explicitly post-Christian mythology, which, by the way, is incredibly post-Christian. But... I had people tell me, you know, there are all kinds of touch points here. And I said, well, yes, what, what, what exactly is the touch point, though, that you can actually get a hold of for the cause of the gospel here? Um, so, I, you know, I, I hear people say this, but I can still remember I'm old enough that uh, I was a teenager when the movie The Exorcist came out. And uh, so there were people who said, look, it's dealing with ultimate questions. It's dealing with spiritual things. It's after all, after about demons and exorcism and, uh, and all the rest. But the reality was, 
it was a pretty flimsy excuse to say, I've got to go see The Exorcist so I can talk about what my neighbor's talking about. Our neighbor will tell us enough about what it's about. We, we already know. Yeah. Off the top of my head, let me give you another example and, and ask you a question about it. The, the, yeah. the Netflix series uh, 13 Reasons Why, which deals with oh, yeah. the issue of suicide – um, we interviewed yeah. uh, one of my seminary professors from RTS and he actually went and watched all of it because he was giving a lecture to students and he wanted to know and really needed to know what the content was so that he could speak into the issue. Are there ever cases like that uh, that sort of give an allowance for that consumption? Well, I would say yes, unless it leads us to sin. And uh, so that's the thing. And and I think 13 Reasons Why is very different, for example, than uh, something that's, uh, uh, you know, explicitly pornographic. Hmm. Um, I am familiar with the series, although I didn't watch it. I did read uh, some of the scripts in order to understand the messaging. But, you know, it's interesting to, that you use that example because isn't it telling that the secular world began to demand that that program stop? Hmm. Uh, because of the uh, copycat teenage suicides, young adult yeah. suicides that were coming in the wake of that program. I mean, it, it tells you something about how horrifyingly confused, and, and that's, the, that, that's a mild word to use here, our society is, that it would actually offer entertainment watched by young people that would offer reasons why a young person would commit suicide. And of course, they'll come back and say, well, it was within a larger dramatic context that had a, a larger moral context. Well, what was that larger moral context? Uh, you know, so I, I appreciate you raising that particular series because I think we all know it had immediate traceable effects, deadly effects. I'll switch uh, the conversation slightly here. You, you host your program, The Briefing, and yep. you are consuming a tremendous amount of news information. Yeah. Um, I guess a question for you is, is there ever a point where you feel like you've consumed so much that it's beginning to weigh you down uh, negatively? Uh, not often, only once or twice an hour. Uh, no, I mean, uh, honestly, <laughs> there is only one way all of this would not overwhelm us, and that is that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, if I did not know the end of history— and if I did not know what it means that Jesus Christ is Lord, then I wouldn't be able to engage any of it for 10 minutes. But uh, the world uh, marked by sin is a fairly horrifying place. Now, that's not to say there are only horrible things within it. The, the, the glory of God is still, as we would say, vestigially apparent. That is to say, it's still there. It's corrupted, but it's not destroyed, including the image of God and humanity. And, and so uh, if I had a secular worldview— then I think I would be devastated. I have to assume that the people operating with a secular worldview who are actually producing all this news have to somehow live in a bifurcated world in which they talk about these things for a certain number of hours a day and then go home and kiss their children, you know, in a, in a, as if we're living in a different world. For the believer, or, or, or really the, mm -hmm. you know, think of considering that the, the new believer who is yeah. consuming and, – and, and this is uh, very applicable even for us today uh, – the information, the news of, of, of uh, reports of death, the, the spread of virus, um, that can yeah. begin to take a toll on a person. Is there an element of, of, of trying to strike a balance and pulling away from the news media, the news – the 24-hour the news cycle 
and and getting away from that and finding some solace. Yeah, no one should live immersed in a 24-hour uh, information cycle, period. Uh, God made us, for one thing, with a necessity of sleep. He also gave us responsibilities. That goes back to the fact that uh, that leisure time component is just uh, artificially large for us. So, you know, one of the signs of unhealth is that we have too much time on our hands. We, we, we should have less time on our hands than, than modern Americans. There should be things, there are all kinds of people who need to be seen, people who need to be cared for, the things that need to be done. But, you know, there's another aspect in answering your question that I think is really distinctively Christian. And that comes down to the fact that we have to make certain that the major input in our lives, and that means also in our eyes and our ears, is godly. And I don't just mean consistent with godliness. I mean, God's word. Uh, if you were to take the average Christian in the English-speaking world, say in the in the United States or in Britain, let's go back uh, to the midpoint of the 19th century. So, I mean, that's, that's history we understand. Say the time of the U.S. Civil War, you know, right about then. The Industrial Revolution, all that. If you were to go back then, the average person would have had... Uh, knowledge of the Bible in a, in a generalized sense, if nothing else. They would have had a knowledge of the themes and plots of Shakespeare's plays and dramas if they were you know, just an educated person. They would know uh, John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, they would, if they were Anglican, know the, uh, the, the rhythms and language of the Book of Common Prayer. And they might know just a few other narratives fairy tales, you know, uh, this is the kind of tales that are told. And a few people would have time to read uh, beyond that. But the novels that they would have read would have been carefully bounded by certain moral expectations. And uh, one of those expectations was that uh, virtue has to be rewarded and vice has to be punished. That was their entire narrative world. Well, now we're, we're looking at people who have a completely different narrative world. Uh, their worlds are being told by, and I know some of this stuff's out of date, but The Sopranos and The Office and, you know, co more contemporary things, uh, uh, you know, The Handmaid's Tale, you just go to, that, 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 in other words, the narratives are just all over the place. But narratives shape our hearts. And so uh, we, we are being shaped in ways we don't even recognize. There are narratives, stories, plot lines that are in our hearts. There are arguments uh, that get the applause that are in our consciousness. There are all the the politically correct, right-minded signaling uh, messages that come to us from Hollywood and all the rest. And and we just have to recognize it really does make an effect. It has an effect on us. It changes us. So uh, going back to your original question, we have to have time in which, number one, we give priority to the right input into our lives. And that means not only, it does mean, first of all, the preaching of the Word of God. It also means just bringing, I mean, there, there are a lot of, there's just a lot of Christian truth that Christians need to know. There are Christian books that they need to read and then things they need to do. But beyond that, I think it's also important that, uh, that we give time to silence, and by the way, sometimes that's not absolute silence, but at least quiet, cutting ourselves off from that steady, constant stream. Uh, because otherwise, the world's telling us what to think and what to do and what to be obsessed about every minute. That can't be healthy for anyone, much less for a Christian. 
you've touched on a great point that I'm, I'm I've been kind of wrestling with myself, and it's the dynamic of the of the family and the household that has mm-hmm. really changed uh, over mm-hmm. the last you know, three, four generations. And we seem to be more more and more isolated. Uh, we don't have yeah. two and three and four generations living together. And and in that isolation, I think is is you have more opportunity for. The entertainment. You have more opportunity and time to to dedicate, and and then the proliferation of of smart devices and mm-hmm. screens have sort of have continued to build this up. What would be the the healthy Christian biblical response to that? Coming from someone like myself, completely, who's got a young family, yeah. completely redefining the reality that the dominant culture gives us. I, I think it was the New York Times a few days ago had a fascinating article about teenagers growing up in a community in West Virginia where there is uh, no Wi-Fi. Basically, there's there's very limited cell service because the world's largest movable radio telescope is located nearby, and they can have no uh, electronic uh, interference with that telescope. So the community has none of those things. So what do the kids do? Uh, They go outside. They they're in the woods. They uh, they do the things kids did yeah. uh, before they had smartphones and and video games and and all the rest. And uh, the amazing thing is is that those kids then leave that world and go to college. So are they all of a sudden liberated? Well, the fact is, the story was telling us the news article that uh, those kids were at least smart enough to realize that leaving a world without constant media, going into a world with constant connectedness was not exactly liberation. So, you know, I think one of the things we just have to recognize is that we as Christian, especially Christian parents, we really have to press back on this. I had a Christian mom some time ago say to me, look, I'm, I'm really worried about my daughter. Uh, you know, she's not getting as much sleep as she should because she's got her smartphone right there on the pillow. And I'm going, well, hey, that is why God gave her mom. But you got a mom here. Uh, at some point, the smartphone just simply has to be, if, if they have access to it, which most do, you know, it just has to be off, not in the room, not connected to Wi-Fi. You know, at, at some point, parents just have to say, look, we're just, we're just not going to buy the mentality, the mandate of, of the world around us that you've got to be constantly monitoring hmm. all these things and, and engaging and, and by the way, we know, we already know, we already know how damaging this is to adolescent self-esteem, mm. and especially amongst young girls. We already know this. So why do we tolerate it? If this were an infectious agent, we would be doing something about it. And it is an infectious agent. It's a worldview infection agent. Mm. And, I, and uh, but by the way, it's not enough to say, of course, as you, as you would well know, you know, we, we, we have to... Uh, control the access of our children. I mean, after all, we got to monitor our own. Yeah. I think the response, I think, that typically comes from that, you know, if you cut them off, then they feel like they're not connected with their friend group. I know what the answer is to that, but I mean, what yeah. would you tell, you know, your grandchildren, uh, you know, if they were to say, you know, Grandpa, I, 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 all my friends are connected online. They're all, they're all involved in this. You're pulling me away from that. Yeah, and you're gonna, they're going to be there when you wake up in the morning, too. You know, uh, the, the, I think the terror is, and, and, and it's a real terror. In other words, you've got young people that have a very real terror that they're going to effectively disappear if they're not on uh, constant uh, media and uh, digital social media. 
And I think we've got to be the people who say to them, look, you're not going to disappear. You're, your existence right here yeah. in space, time, and history is far more important than your, uh, your existence in social media. A part of what adults have to do, by the way, is, is remember that ourselves. I mean, if I've got an adult coming to me saying, hey, I'm completely uh, you know, uh, distraught about what was said to me on, about me on social media, maybe you need to be more concerned about what the people who live with you think. Uh, but uh, you know, words, once we say that to ourselves, you know, let's say that to our, uh, to our own children. Let's say that to fellow church members. Let's just remind ourselves of that. And, and that's not to say that we're Luddites and we say, be gone all technology. I mean, that would be rather hypocritical, given the images that uh, you and I are recording <laughs> right now. Yeah. Uh, that's right. So we're not, we're not Luddites. Uh, we're not saying no technology. We're not tearing up the factories or the printing presses. But we are saying, wow, maybe we need to pause and pray and think this through. And a lot of this actually has to do with identity. I mean, especially if you're talking mm-hmm. to that younger generation, um, right. what are the things that you are, you know, the the, the social media profile is 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 putting forth, uh, you know, the best version of yourself, so to speak. So, so yeah. where do you where do you get your value? Are you getting your value from what your friends think of you, or is there, you know, the the deeper yeah. root is your identity in Christ? Yeah, I mean, that's just so profoundly important. And uh, identity politics has taken over the academy and the larger culture, which says, here's your identity. Uh, this is the identity that's most important about you. Intersectionality, saying you have actually multiple identities, and you know, you, you, you've got to play identity politics with every one of them. Uh, but then you've got the whole social media identity thing. And, uh, and, and by the way, this shows up differently, in, in, um, even amongst men and women, uh, to a large part. I think uh, one of the things that men have to really watch about is being mean on social media. There's just a, a feeling like you've uh, you've done something where you get the serotonin rush for saying something that you know is going to be going to attract a lot of attention with controversy on Twitter or whatever. And look, that's that can happen to men and women, uh, as I well know, hmm. <laughs> if I dare look at Twitter. Uh, but when it comes to uh, to some things, so for instance, I was just weeks ago in California, in Southern California. And, uh, you know, the plastic surgery, aesthetic surgery business there has had a massive increase in the social media age because there are so many people who want a better selfie, you know, and uh, they've got to, I mean, you're kind of in a concentrated ground zero area there in Beverly Hills where, you know, the average person has multiple aesthetic uh, procedures, we're told. But uh, but nonetheless, there's not an accident where that everywhere you look, there's some aesthetic plastic surgery practice advertising itself. Well, that tells you something very toxic about the digital age. So there we are. We all, we all present an idealized self. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the part. And again, the biblical worldview understands this. We all present an idealized self. Um we, uh, we 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 don't walk up to people and say, "Look, I uh, I completely failed and lost that contract last week. You don't even know about it, but that's my identity. That's who I am." No, instead, how are you doing? Doing great. Um, but Christians are those who know that what we owe one another is not the idealized self, but the real self, and yeah. that's a part of what it means to be a believer. That our identity is in Christ. Our security is in Christ alone. Our confidence is in Christ alone. And uh, thus, we're the only people perhaps left on the planet who can be honest and uh, 
If our identity is in anything or anyone other than Christ, it's just a disaster waiting to happen. Well, and if you don't have an an external telling you who you are, you're going to have to create your own self-identity, which is, I think, what proliferates that. Now, I hope this doesn't derail our conversation too much, but you know, the news has obviously been around this coronavirus issue, and I know you're even personally, yeah. not health-wise, but but institution-wise, having to deal with this. And 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 think about uh, that media that's coming out. How do you balance? The, the fear versus, you know, using wisdom in, in a situation like that. Well, fear sometimes is wisdom, isn't it? I mean, here's the humbling thing about this little invisible virus, microscopic. Uh, the thing's deadly. And uh, boy, evidence of Genesis 3. And uh, let me tell you how diabolical this little thing is. It's uh, a virus is, by definition, a living organism that can only replicate itself within other living organisms, which it tends to consume when it is uh, replicating in them. Oh, my goodness, that's like Genesis 3 in a nutshell or a, a microscope image. And, and so fear is, if fear is not wrong when it's reality-based. And in this case, it's, it's reality-based. Now, it can get out of context, And uh, for instance, one of the things that we face right now is the fact that most Americans have the illusion of health and safety and, you know, stability. But we live in a dangerous world. Christians better be the people who know we live in a dangerous world. If it's not this microbe or or a virus that gets us, uh, it's going to be something else because mortality is uh, a part of the condition of fallen humanity. But on the other hand, love of God and love of neighbor means we do not take this life lightly. We take it as God's gift, and thus we seek to be good stewards of this gift for ourselves and for each other. Love of neighbor means that we owe our neighbor the best we can contribute to our neighbor's health and well-being. And uh, so we we have a a real challenge we're facing here, and it's very humbling. It's economically humbling, isn't it? Just look at the stock market. It's politically humbling. You know, people are looking at politicians and saying, fix this. Well, good luck with that. And, of course, you've got people who have uh, advantage to making this appear to be uh, apocalypse now. And there are uh, those who have advantage to saying, hey, this is really nothing. Uh, Christians ought to be the ones who, uh, with an unshakable faith in Christ and with the reality of the ordered universe that God has made, we say, look, uh, wash your hands. But more than that, pray and understand there is no ultimate rescue except from God. We need to pray that God will protect us and our loved ones and uh, our our fellow Americans and all over the world. But if there is nothing that uh, should more recently remind us of the fragility of human society and uh, the goodness of human society as God gave it to us in Genesis 1 and 2, and at the same time, our incompetence to protect ourselves, ultimately, I, I don't know what it would be. Dr. Muller, I, as I read through your biography, I realized there's probably a million questions that I would like to ask you, but um, I know you've got a lot on your plate today, and um, you're, you're heading off for other things. And so I just want to say thank you for taking the time to come and talk with thank us you. on the Candid Podcast, and uh, it's been a pleasure to have you with us. Well, Jonathan, I'm thankful for you. Uh, I'm thankful for uh, for your dad, my dear friend, Michael. I'm thankful for the Church of the Apostles, for all the ministries that uh, the Lord has uh, has put in your care. And I'm very thankful for the, uh, the really good questions and the, the good conversation today. I hope it was helpful. Yeah. Thank you so much. God bless you. God bless. 
Candid is a podcast from Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. If you like today's episode, please share it with a friend, leave a review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. By subscribing, you make sure you never miss an episode. It's delivered to you as soon as we release it. Don't forget to connect with our social media pages on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Check our show notes for a link to get a free digital download of Truth Tips. As always, thank you for listening to and sharing this episode.